Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Uh, We're going to read the entire chapter here, and what we're going to do is answer this question of who is Jesus, and this is going to really catapult us into the Christmas season, because what we're going to see is this, is that we, we, we listen to these stories about Jesus' birth as a child, right? And, you know, Joseph and Mary and the donkey and going to Bethlehem, and there being no room in the inn and all this kind of stuff, right? And then the shepherds, and then the wise men. And by the way, have you ever been in a church that like used real animals and did like the whole like thing? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all are like, yes, that's awesome, right? Some of you are like, no, yeah, just imagine, right? Real animals walking down the aisle and pooping, right, in church. Yes. So, um, so anyways, we're not doing that tonight. I'd also say that historically that's probably not accurate. Now, I had a guy that I worked with one time that tried to say that the wise men did show up at the manger. But, like, you got to do some crazy theological gymnastics to make that happen. The wise men showed up a little later. We'll see that tonight, all right, based on what we know about the calendar and history and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, um, what we're going to do tonight, though, is not just recap this story, not just read to you what you get read, you know, on Christmas Eve with your parents and all that kind of stuff, right? But instead, I want us to look at this story of the wise men uh, or the Magi, and, and how that this actually helps us to even understand who Jesus is. Because when you write or when you read Matthew, what you find is that Matthew is pointing throughout his book uh, that Jesus was fulfilling who he said he was, that he was fulfilling prophecy, and it was pointing to who he says he was. And Jesus really starts that, as we've already discussed uh, previously here at the BCM, uh, even in Matthew chapter 1 uh, with Jesus' lineage, But he also is going to do that in the story that we see in Matthew chapter 2, dealing with Jesus' birth. And so with that in mind, let's begin reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then I love this. Matthew leaves this out. But the rest of that that you find in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 actually says this whose origins are from old and from ancient times, which I just think that's interesting to add when you read that. I'm not adding to Matthew. I'm saying that's quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. All right, so here we go. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt 
and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Then what had been pro, pro, uh, spoken through the Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you that as we look at this tonight, Lord, uh, we know that there's a lot in this passage about the Magi and what they do. And Lord, even Herod and how he responds and Lord, it's easy to look at this passage and almost do a character study of those characters. But Lord, help us to read this the way that Matthew meant it in relation to the rest of his letter and his book. And help us to understand that this really is pointing to who Jesus is. And so, Lord, help us as we look at this tonight, that if there's any question in any heart or any mind in this place tonight of who Jesus is, that they'll understand that, Lord, that the reason that we celebrate Christmas is because we are worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the Messiah, who was born in a manger, you. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, where is the proof, then, that Jesus is the Messiah in the manger? I want you to see tonight uh, really six things that point out to us uh, the proof that Jesus is the Messiah uh, and, and found here in this passage. The first proof we see is ultimately in the place. It's in the place of his birth. It's in the location of his birth. If you see there in verse 1, it says... Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. And then if you go to verse 6, we're reminded again, we read the prophecy from Micah chapter 5, where it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, whose origins, the rest of that says in Micah, are from old and from ancient times. Now, what's interesting is this, is that when we read this story, it's important to note that ultimately Jesus being born in Bethlehem is significant. Now, G now, Bethlehem was a little bitty tiny place. Matter of fact, we know later in the story that Herod gets very mad and angry, and so he's trying to kill Jesus. And so he says that he's going to kill uh, the babies that were two years and under, right? And uh, matter of fact, some historians and scholars have argued that, well, we don't find that in history. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that Bethlehem was such a small place during this period of time that there's a likelihood that that might have only been 20 to 25 babies. Now, I understand the significance of 20 to 25 baby boys dying, and I get that. But in relation to the rest of the history of Israel, uh, that doesn't become as significant of an event, particularly when you're talking about this being Herod, who killed some of his own children. Does that make sense? He literally killed some of his own children and a whole bunch of other folks that were threats to him as well. And so it was just sort of part of who Herod was. But anyways... We see here that ultimately uh, that Bethlehem is this small place. 
Bethlehem is not something that we think much of, but we do know that it's the city of who? David, right? Now, we don't have to go all the way back to the beginning of the semester and remind ourselves the importance of who David was as king and his lineage and all that. But it is important to note that Jesus is born here in Bethlehem. Now, if you know the rest of the story from the other Gospels, you know that the reason they had to go to Bethlehem was to take a census, right? And so you had to go back to the city of your lineage and, and, and so forth. And so they ended up back in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is important because ultimately what Bethlehem does is fulfills Micah chapter 5. Now what's interesting about Micah chapter 5 that we see in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2 is that this points to Jesus being, number one, king, right? Because it says, by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler, but not only king, but also shepherd and pastor, because he says there, who will shepherd my people Israel. And like I said, if you turn back to Micah chapter 5, you find that this was no mere mortal that, Mike, that Micah was talking about, because he says that this person was origins from old and ancient times. And so here we see that even Jesus being born in Bethlehem points to him being the promised Messiah. So the location is part of that proof. Not only is the location part of his proof, but also the heavens themselves are part of that proof. The heaven themselves are part of that proof. You got to, there we go. I couldn't remember what I put on your little stuff I sent to you because I got my notes written in the Bible and I wrote my notes here slightly different than what I sent to him. And so, uh, so yeah. So the heavens themselves proclaim the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. What takes place in this story? Well, ultimately, the Magi from the east uh, see this star. And this star uh, points them to Jesus, to, to, to Bethlehem. Uh, and so here's what you got to recognize. Historians, again, and astronomers and astrologers and everything else have tried to look back at history and tried to say that this star was some natural phenomenon. They've said that it's where certain planets lined up and all of these kind of things, right? Uh, matter of fact, uh, back a couple years ago, and I don't remember what it was called, uh, but we like to take our children uh, on trips for Christmas. We put a couple of things under the tree, right? But we like to take them on trips for Christmas rather than just giving them a bunch of junk because we realized a couple of years ago that that junk ends up like being thrown away or never used after a couple months. Y'all get what I'm saying, right? And so anyways, uh, a couple years ago, we took a trip to Marathon, to the Keys, to, to, to Marathon, Florida. I had a great time down there, surprised them with it. And, uh, and so while we were down there, I guess it's two or three years ago, uh, maybe it was before, was that before COVID or after COVID? I can't remember now. But do y'all remember a couple years ago when they said that, that the planets aligned and you could see them and it looked like the big star right around Christmas time? And they tried to say and claim that that was the same star. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? We were in Marathon. We were eating right there by the Seven Mile Bridge or whatever that bridge is. It's really long. It's called or however long. It's really long. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That goes to Key West. And, and that star was there. So we're eating there. We're eating the fish that we had caught that day at this restaurant. They cooked it for us. And this big old star, which really wasn't a star, but it was the planets aligning and all this kind of stuff, is out there in the sky. But the truth of the matter is, is there's some issues with that. Number one, the timing. Uh, because ultimately, the likelihood is, is that Jesus wasn't born December 25th. I didn't mean to spoil what y'all got told in like children's church, right? But Jesus wasn't born December 25th. Jesus also wasn't born like when the calendar changed from BC to AD, right? So when we went from the Roman calendar to the Christian calendar, the guy that was in charge of that, uh, he really did some poor math. And so he ended up being off by six to seven years is what we think, right? And so Jesus was likely born more in the range of 
6 B.C. All right, and part of the reason we know that is because we actually know when Herod died, and guess when Herod died? 4 B.C. Herod had to die after Jesus was born. Does that make sense? All right, and so ultimately, um, my point to that being is that the likelihood is, is that Jesus was born more so probably in springtime, uh, not necessarily when it was 20 degrees outside, all right? And also, uh, Jesus was born in 6 BC. But anyways, with that said, the point being is that regardless of what all these astrologers and astronomers and historians and everybody else have tried to say, there's no real good evidence for some natural phenomenon being what the Magi were looking at. There's not. However, let's say that it was a natural phenomenon. Right? Let's say that it was. Let's say that it was. I'm still okay with that. Here's why I'm still okay with that. Because you remember what Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us? What do the heavens do? They proclaim the glory of God. And here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah being born. And sure enough, it is a star. It is the heavens who are proclaiming the glory of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we see the proof is in the location. We see the proof is in the proclamation of the heavens. And then third, I want you to see the proof is in the Magi themselves. The proof is in the Magi themselves and their response. The Magi were pagan. They were from the east, likely Persia. They were studiers of astronomy and astrology. They would have had some sort of political and religious role within the culture of that day. And ultimately, they see this star. They've heard enough about what's going on. They know there's something significant there. And despite the fact that they are pagan, they know enough about what's going on that they know that they have to follow this star to find the king of the Jews. That's what they know. And so ultimately, what do they do? They come to find Herod. Herod says, tell me about this king. And so Herod doesn't have an answer for everything. And so Herod goes to the priests and the scribes of the people. And so they tell him, hey, don't forget what Micah said. And then Herod sort of freaks out. And this starts the whole process. Herod lies to the Magi, right? But what do the Magi do? The Magi go to follow the star. They find Jesus. They find Mary and Joseph. Matter of fact, this is why we know that there's not really, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they would have been at the manger because the Bible actually tells us that um, ultimately they were in a house. You got it? It says they were in a house. And so when we <laughs> see that, uh, that kind of makes it difficult for them to be, because in verse 11 it says, after coming into the, what does that say? House. So at the very least, they're not in the manger. They're in a what? House, okay? Uh, also, this is a, a, a fairly long trip, okay? Uh, and there's some significance to why Herod would have wanted the, the age of those children to be killed. And so ultimately what we find is that the likelihood is is that we're dealing with a Jesus who is at bare, bare minimum somewhere between six months and two years old. All right? And so, what do the Magi do, though? What do they do? They show up and they give him these gifts. Now, some have read them giving him gold, frankincense, and myrrh to say, oh, well, this is, a, this is pointing to Jesus' death and his burial and them anointing his body and all that kind of stuff. And that plays really well, and I get it. But the truth of the matter is, is that nowhere 
in this story yet has Matthew referenced Jesus's death and burial that was going to come. So it doesn't make a lot of sense just from a literary standpoint or from what he's trying to do and how that he writes throughout Scripture in his book that that's what he would be referencing. But instead, what we know about these three gifts is that these are gifts that you would give royalty. So here we have pagan magi, guys who are astronomers and astrologers, guys who had some sort of religious and political role within that society that see this great star, that recognize it for what it is, and then they go to Herod saying, there is the king of the Jews that has been born which is significant and important as well. They recognized that the king of the Jews had been born because was Herod born the king of the Jews? No, matter of fact, if you know anything about Herod, what you know is, is that he wasn't born the king of the Jews, but that he was placed into a position of power to rule by the Romans. Now, Herod supposedly claimed that he converted to Judaism. And, and, but the thing is, is that Herod also, matter of fact, many of the Jews of the day, they sort of gave Herod a break because Herod had done a lot of really good things from like a public and social standpoint within this community and the society. They'd made, he'd made life a little better and easier for them, right? But yet he was also brutal and unkind and loved to kill people who were a threat to him, right? Could, could you ever imagine it? A politician who people are like, it's okay, because he does some things that selfishly may make life a little easier for you, but yet he's not really a very good guy. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right? That sounds like a lot of politicians today, right? And so Herod, but the difference is, I don't know many of them that go around like chopping their son's heads off, right? Y'all get what I mean, right? And so Herod, here we go, this is the kind of guy he is, and the Magi somehow figure out that what he's telling them isn't the truth, and so not only do they go to Jesus giving him these, these, uh, these presents that are ultimately for a king, but yet they also tell Joseph the truth, right? Uh, and so, or excuse me, let me backtrack that. They, they, they go to uh, Joseph and they give him the, the presents, and uh, actually it's God that tells him the truth. I, I misspoke, sorry about that. But what they do is, is they don't go back to who? Herod, right? They don't go back to Herod. And so ultimately, these magi recognize that there's something there. But even these pagan guys had an understanding that Jesus was king of the Jews. That this baby hadn't performed a miracle yet. Who hadn't healed a sick person yet. Who hadn't fed 5,000 yet. Who hadn't died on a cross yet. Who hadn't been resurrected from the dead yet. But yet, they understand that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And so we see the response of the magi. But not only that, but here's the deal. You got these pagan guys that, that respond in that way, but you also have the scribes and the chief priests and their response, the response of the religious leaders of the day. Because what do they do? In verse 4 and verse 5, they're asked, uh, hey, what's up with the Messiah? Where's he to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. So even they recognize the prophecy of Micah was pointing to the Messiah and that this baby fulfilled it. Even they recognized it. So we see now, his place points us to there. The heavens, the star, declare who he is. The magi who were pagan from the east declare who he is. And even the, scri the scribes and the religious leaders of the day declare who Jesus is. But not only that, but Herod declares who he is. Herod declares who he is. I mean, what is the issue that Herod has with Jesus? What's the issue? 
that he has with this baby that's been born. Well, I'll tell you the issue. He hears these guys from the east who give him a testimony to what they've seen and what they've heard. And then he hears the testimony of the scribes and the Pharisees, or not the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes and the chief priests who tell him, hey, here's what the prophets said. And so immediately he sees Jesus as a threat to his power. He sees Jesus as a threat to his power. And remember, I said the Magi made sure to point out that it was the king of the Jews that had been born, right? Herod's not a dummy. Herod knows that his power ultimately is given to him by the Romans and it's given to him by the support of the local people there in Jerusalem. And so ultimately, what Herod does is, as Herod says, we got to end the threat. If Jesus wasn't the promised Messiah, if Herod wasn't worried about this baby who hadn't performed any miracles yet, who was no threat to anybody yet, potentially being a threat, then Herod wouldn't have done what he did. Simple as that. So now here we are, and we're sitting looking at this story, and it's amazing, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, man, these guys wearing these big crazy hats. You see them marching into the church with the camels coming behind them. They're pooping everywhere, right? That's what you think. And in reality, what we see in this story is testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony that Jesus, this baby, is the Messiah. His location, the heavens, the magi, the scribes and priests, Herod. And so ultimately, what happens? Well, God shows up in a dream to Joseph again. By the way, this Joseph guy had to be a pretty good guy. Y'all realize that, right? I mean, God keeps showing up to him in dreams, right? I mean, you think about this entire episode. Joseph was going to put Mary away quietly. That's what the Bible tells us. And guess what? He has a dream. And he's told, uh, actually, Mary's telling the truth, right? And so he does what he's supposed to do. Once again... God shows up to Joseph in a dream and he says, you need to get out of Dodge. He says, you need to go somewhere else because they are trying to kill Jesus. Now, do we know if Mary and Joseph knew everything? You can go ahead and go to the next point. I'll actually call it out in a minute. Um, do we know if Mary and Joseph knew and understood everything about Jesus yet? Matter of fact, I'll tell you, we know they didn't. Because we know that a little later on, Jesus is going to be a child and he's going to go into the temple and he's going to be teaching. And do y'all remember that story? What happens? They're like, oh no, where is Jesus? We left him behind in the temple. He's lost somewhere. And then boom, they find Jesus and Jesus is like, I'm doing my father's business, right? Y'all remember that? Right? And so we know that they don't fully comprehend and understand. We know the promise that had been made to Mary. We know what Joseph had been told. But there is no way that they fully comprehended and understood exactly what all of this meant in relation to who Jesus was. But they knew enough to know that there was a threat upon his life, that Herod understood who he was, the Magi understood who he was, and yet Joseph is told, you got to go. And so Joseph gets up, he takes Jesus, and they go to Egypt. And then ultimately they're going to come back because by 6 B.C. Herod is dead. I'm sorry, 4 B.C. Herod is dead. And so they're like, we can go back. And so they're going to go back and then they realize that, oops, we got a problem. 
Because guess whose son's still in command? Herod's son's still in command. And so they find themselves in Nazareth. Now, when you read what Matthew says, you're reminded of a couple of things. Number one, you're reminded of a prophecy that says that ultimately that God was going to call the Messiah out of, guess where? Egypt. If you go to Numbers chapter 24, verse 7 and 8, you find there in that story in Numbers chapter 24, verse 7 and 8, a precursor to the fact that God is going to call the Messiah out of Egypt. And what's really cool about that is, is that Matthew picks up on that and he says, listen, even in the midst of Joseph taking Jesus and Mary into Egypt, it wasn't just coincidence. It was the fact that even the exodus and then his return into Nazareth was going to do, guess what? Prove who he was. Prove who he was. Here's what I want you to hear today. And this is really important. It's very simple tonight. I mean, it's probably one of the more simple ones I've shared all semester that we've heard all semester. When you celebrate Christmas, when you celebrate the birth of Jesus, we think so many times of the baby in the manger, right? And we think so many times of just this cute, sweet little baby Jesus. My point being is, is if we're not careful, we will think of Jesus as the baby in the manger. And that, that's, that's awesome. And we'll focus on Mary and Joseph. And that's awesome. I'm not saying those are bad things. And we'll talk about that there was no room in the end. And that's amazing. And we'll talk about, man, can you imagine what they had to go through staying in you know, basically this horse trough. Now, when you're little kids, you heard about how cold it was outside, right? Okay, I might have messed that up for you tonight. But anyways, if we hear all this stuff, we're like, man, that's great. That's awesome. But don't miss sight of the fact that it wasn't like, because if we're not careful, because here's what happens. We don't know a lot about what happened when Jesus was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Right, I know there's like some extra biblical books out there that have tried to make up stories and claim that it was about what Jesus was as a kid and all this kind of stuff. And I get that, but take that for what it is. It's extra biblical. Y'all get what that means? Like extra biblical, okay? Just, if you want, just don't pay any attention to it is my point. <laughs> but here's what I want you to realize. Sometimes because of that, I think what we do is we're like, whoo, cool, awesome story. Baby, born, mama, daddy, whoo. Magi bring really cool gifts. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph going, why did you bring us the gifts that were for a king? This is just a baby, right? Oh, yeah, this guy Herod, he wanted to kill all those kids. Yeah, side note, Jesus went and lived in Egypt for a little while. It's okay. And all of a sudden we think, like, okay, then Jesus grew up. And he, you know, he grew up in wisdom and stature. The Bible tells us that. And he grew up, and then all of a sudden, it was like Jesus was like one day, ha, whoo, now I'm the Messiah. I mean, if, if you're not careful, that's what we'll think, isn't it? I heard a preacher say one time that no wonder it took James so long, Jesus' half brother, to believe that Jesus was. The son of God. You know, it wasn't until after his resurrection that J James believed that, right? 
Because can you imagine what it would be like being the half-brother of Jesus living with a perfect sibling? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like some of you right now are like, yeah, my parents think my sibling's perfect. Y'all know what I mean? Imagine if they really were, right? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Make you feel really good. It's always James that's causing the problems, right? (laughs) Never Jesus. But we don't know much about all that. So what happens is, is we really think, "Hmm." yeah, one day, Jesus heard John the Baptist talking about him and was like, hey, that's me. And then he got baptized. And then voice out of heaven and doves flying around. And Jesus goes, I'm here now. No. No. Literally at his birth. We sing it, but I don't know if we think about it a lot. He was the newborn king. The Messiah. The one who came to save his people. The one who came so that you and I could have salvation. The one who would rule for all of eternity. The one who would one day sit at the right hand of the throne of the Father. The one who would return one day in Revelation to reclaim what is His and rightfully His. The one who would feed 5,000. The one who would heal the lame and the blind and the sick. The one who would live a perfect, sinless life and die on a cross, beaten, battered, bruised for you and for me. The one that would take on the sin of the world. But yet three days later. Raise from the grave. That's who we celebrate. As we enter into this Christmas season. And as I said as we started this semester. We're not asking you to believe and celebrate something that got made up 400 years after the fact. We're asking you to celebrate and believe and put your faith in something that even his contemporaries understood. Had he not been the Messiah, he wouldn't have been a threat to Herod. Had he not been a Messiah, the Magi would not have responded the way that they did. Had he not been the Messiah... The high priests and the scribes wouldn't have said, oh yeah, that's what Micah said. Had he not been the Messiah, the heavens would not have proclaimed his glory. Had he not been the Messiah, not even the location that he he was born would have stated what it said about the prophecies. See, when we celebrate Jesus this Christmas, recognize that we are celebrating the birth Of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Where does that leave us today? Well, very simple. Here's the deal. We've made Christmas so secular. We've made Christmas so about all the frills and thrills and bells and literal bells. I was going to say bells and whistles, but 
We'll just stop at bells, right? We've made Christmas about so many other things. For some of you tonight, maybe what you just simply need to do is just say, hey, I need to get back to within my heart, within my life, making Christmas about what it truly is. Here's the other truth of the matter. For some of you today, recognize this. Is that for some of you, Christmas is nothing more than the fun. It's nothing more than the reindeer and Santa Claus and the gifts and the tinsel and the bells, because I said bells earlier, and all that stuff. Because you don't know who Jesus is. Because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because you've never truly asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. I know of no greater season and no greater time than really either Christmas or Easter, right? And to celebrate who Jesus is. And to acknowledge Him for who He is. So if you're here tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, we talked about the 12 days of evangelism. Then maybe what you need to do tonight is just come to the realization that Jesus is, during this Christmas season, celebrated as the Messiah in the manger. And as the Messiah, that means that he came and he lived and he died and he rose three days later so that you and I could have eternal life. So that you and I could put our faith and trust in him and that he could save us for all of eternity. So if you're here tonight and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you tonight as we enter into this Christmas season. Why don't you tonight... Humble yourself before the cross. Humble yourself at the foot of even the manger. And ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior tonight. You say, Tommy, how do I do that? Well, ultimately, what the Bible tells us is that we're all sinners. The Bible tells us that God created us for a plan. He created us to have a relationship with Him. But that ultimately, sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, it separated us from God. But as we celebrate at Christmas time, Jesus came into this world as a baby, but he didn't remain a baby because ultimately he would die for you and me. He would take on the sin of the world on his shoulders as he died on a cross, taking on literally the punishment of his father. And then the Bible tells us that ultimately three days later he would raise from the grave. And the Bible tells us how we should respond to that. It tells us that ultimately that we should admit our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and confess Him as our Lord and Savior. And that if we will do that, the Bible says that we will be saved. So tonight, if you're here as we enter into this Christmas season and you've never been able to truly celebrate Christmas for what it is, and that is the Messiah in a manger, then I would challenge you tonight to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.